This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media. Today. 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 With Jeff Fines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. Today. Today. Today with Jeff Fines. Welcome to Today with Jeff Fines. My name is Aaron, and I'm glad you're joining me to hear this message from Pastor Jeff. Today, we're going to be asking ourselves what would make my life complete? And is being happy important to me, or do I think it's unachievable? Pastor Jeff is going to be answering these questions and looking to the Bible for answers on how we should view happiness and how happiness is even attained. We're going to be looking at Psalm chapter one for a formula to give us some direction. So be thinking about happiness as we listen to Pastor Jeff right here on Today with Jeff Fines. Raise your hand if you'd like to be happy. A lot of people just don't like raising their hands. I'll admit when I go to visit a church and some bozo pastor stands on the stage and asks me to raise my hand, I don't do it either. So I understand some of you do want to be happy, but you just don't want to raise your hand. All right. Now, I just got finished reading uh, something out of the archives of the Orange County Register. And about 30 years ago, over 100 parents were asked, what do they want most for their children? Uh, 87%, now that's, that's quite a percentage. 87% of the parents said what they wanted most for their children was what? They just want their child to be happy. And I find that interesting. You know, nothing about character, integrity, honesty. I just want my child to be happy. You know, he's a drug dealer, but if he's happy, he's happy. You know, he's a warlord. He's happy. He's a bank robber. Yeah, but he's happy. Think about that for a moment. We're so addicted to happiness. Uh, If our parents wanted us to be happy, and that's 30 years ago, so most of us are the product of 30 years ago, that brings me to my second question. How many of you, you say you want to be happy, how many of you are happy? Be honest now, you're in church. (laughs) Some of you raised your hand when I asked you if you were happy, and there's some of your friends and neighbors around, and they would like to ask you the question, well, if you're so happy, why are you so grumpy all the time? (laughs) Because there's a lot of grumpy people in the world. You know I'm telling the truth. If you're one of those persons right now and you're saying, hey, Pastor Jeff, I'm happy, all right, back off, then chances are you got problems. Now, here's why I tell you that. I've just got finished with some study and some reading, and the psychology journals tell us we're not happy. As a matter of fact, in recent studies, They've said that if you go back 30 to 40 years and you read the journals of the generation before, you're going to find very little despair, very little disappointment and despondency. But if you read the journals and compare them with the journals today, there is an overwhelming sense of despair and despondency and unhappiness. Now, here's what's ironic about that. A hundred years ago, we were told that as we gained information and technology and empirical knowledge that we would be more happy. 
The more we learn about each other and the world, the more happy we would be. It was predicted that the 1980s and 90s would be the happiest generation ever to live on planet Earth. But the opposite happened. We are more healthy than our parents were. We live longer than did the two generations before us. We have more means to do things. I mean, I've seen most of the world. My parents never left Tennessee. That's a tragedy in and of itself. And yet, even though those things are true, we are less happy than our parents. In fact, the rate of depression among Americans right now is 15 to 20% higher than in the 1950s. And 20% of all Americans, 20% of all Americans describe themselves as very unhappy. Now, Martin Seligman, who's the director of psychology at the University of Pennsylvania, he is the American leading happiness expert. And he wrote a book called Authentic Happiness. He says this, in the span of one single generation, the depression rate increased 20%, and when something increases in a generation, even 10%, we call that an epidemic. You know what he's saying? You know, if we have more heart attacks, 10% more than we did last generation, we say, we've got a heart attack epidemic. And yet depression has not only risen 10%, but 20% higher than it was 50 years ago. Now you think about this, try to, try to get this in our heads here. We are better off, monetarily speaking, than the generations before us. We have a, a greater sense of freedom and liberty because of travel. We, we are far more healthy. We live longer. And yet, there's an epidemic. It's the loss of happiness, and nobody knows where to find it. But according to Psalm 1, there is a formula. Now, I'm anti-formula. I hate formulas. I hope somebody tell me, well, if you take these three steps, this will happen. No, I hate that. But yet in the book of Psalm, there's a formula. And when I'm talking about happiness, I'm talking about, and I go back to, to ask the question again, in the beginning of the message, I said, are you genuinely happy? And some of you might've said, well, define that for me. So I'm gonna do it. That you have a central overarching characteristic of joy in your life. It is, it is your defining characteristic. If people look at you and say, man, that Jeff Vines, that's a happy guy. I mean, he's just, sure, he has problems and seasons change, but overall, when he comes into a room, man, that guy just lifts the room up. He's a happy guy, and that kind of happiness is contagious. Would people say that about you, or would they say, you're grumpy and you're grouchy, and they'd just soon not talk to you? Which is it? Now, if we're going to ever experience the happy life, first thing you're going to have to do is, one, recognize that happiness is possible. Like I said, I'm not a formula guy, but the Bible starts out, the writer of the book of Psalm 1 says, blessed is the one. So right away we know, okay, it's, hap it, it, it's possible that you can be glad, that you can be content, that you can be a person filled with joy. That's a staggering statement given today's world, isn't it? So when you hear me say that happiness is possible, even in today's world, there's a part of you that should go, really, Jeff? I mean, really? Honestly, don't get my hopes up. Can I really be happy, genuinely happy like you're describing? I had a high school basketball coach, which I've got a photo of right here. This is him, still coaching today. He had me terrified to go out in, in the real world. Terrified, because he'd always say to me in practice, for four years he would say, Vines, you think it's tough in here? You think I'm tough on you? Wait till you get out into the real world. And I heard that for four years. By the time I graduated, I was scared. I didn't want to leave high school. I just want to stay in here. No, you better suck it up, Vines. You better grow some intestinal fortitude. You better get some courage, because your mommy's not going to be here for you forever. It's a tough world. And if you think it's tough in here, it's really going to be tough out in the real world. I was scared. I'm like Charlie Brown, that great theologian who says, I think I'm afraid to be happy because whenever I get too happy, something bad always happens. 
That's a lot of our lives. Now, here, here's the truth. The humor aside, kind of. We usually start out in life thinking that happiness is natural. And if I were to ask you if happiness is a natural part of life, your answer would correspond to your age. The younger you are, the more natural you think happiness is. And your idea is this, or at least this group of people, yeah, happiness is natural. Well, for most people, now there are some people that are just stupid and they make really dumb choices and decisions and of course they screwed their lives up. That's why they're not happy. But happiness for the rest of us is all natural. And I'm smart enough and I have enough courage and I'll do the right thing and I know I'll have a happy life. That's your opinion when you're young and you haven't lived enough life yet. There's a second group of people and they usually, somewhere along the line, migrate away from happiness as natural to happiness is really difficult to achieve. In fact, I think there are four groups of people listening to the message right now. There's one, happiness is natural unless you're really, really stupid and do a bunch of stupid stuff. Two, happiness is unachievable. This is usually the people who have achieved a lot in life and they thought by getting their goal and achieving their objective that they would be happy, but now they're cynical. Have you ever read Forbes magazine? Read about the wealthy. They're some of the most cynical people on the planet because they thought by being wealthy and having all these material things, they were gonna find a sense of pleasurable satisfaction. They were gonna achieve happiness and they said, I didn't get it. It's impossible. It is unachievable in this life. There's a third group. That's the group that doesn't think about it very much until tragedy comes. And then there's the fourth group, the fourth group the Bible talks about, and the, the fourth group that Jesus talks about when he says that authentic happiness is neither natural or unachievable, but it's possible. It is possible to be fundamentally and consistently a happy person. So the first thing is happiness is possible. If you ever hope to be happy, it's possible. Now, if it's possible, why do so few people have it? Church is no different. I'm telling you, Christians and non-Christians, sometimes there's no difference. I see Christians walking here every week and they look like they are the saddest lot of people, just depressed. Now, if happiness is possible, and we ask the question, why do so few have it? The psalmist answers it. We gotta think together about what the psalmist is trying to write. Theologians say that if you can understand Psalm 1, you can understand the entirety of the Psalms. And here's what the writer does for us. In verse three, he says, the person who's happy, genuinely happy, is the person who is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Now think about this. I hate to be so simplistic or elementary, but put your thinking caps on. They told us when we were small. I'm asking you to do the same thing. Think about a tree right now. Now this tree behind me. Isn't it true that a tree is not always productive? It's not always green and beautiful. It's not always blossoming. It has seasons and the seasons change. And when the winter and cold comes, it makes a serious effort to kill it. And when drought and heat comes, the tree is at risk. But this tree, according to the psalmist, unlike many other trees, is planted by a stream of water. And because it's planted by a stream of water, even when the seasons change, it has the ability to access a constant and unremitting stream of water, of life. So that no matter what happens to the tree, no matter how harsh the winter, how, how dry the summer, because it's planted near the stream of living water, it's able to send its roots down deep into something outside itself when disaster comes. 
And because it's able to do that, the Bible says something uncanny happens. It says its leaf never withers. That's a pretty bold statement. It never dies. It is always connected to a life source. Now, don't miss the metaphor of the tree. If you miss the metaphor of the tree, we can't go forward. Look at the tree again. Even if it's winter, even if it's summer, if you know anything about environmental sciences, you know in a real way, the tree does feel the season changes. It does. It doesn't feel like you and I feel, but it does feel the change. And it knows, the tree does, when the roots need to go down deeper to access the life that comes from the spring. Now, is that, I mean, what, what does that mean for us? Well, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, the writer says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. What's interesting about this verse, you have two present tense verbs. What he's saying is, you are in deep joy right now, and you are in deep distress. Now, how are those compatible? How can you possibly be in deep distress and experience deep joy at the same time? And I want to take you back to Psalm. Go back to the tree. You can be experiencing a harsh winter or a harsh summer, and yet still the leaf does not wither. It's the sign of life. You're still alive. You're still going forward. You're still waiting for the season to start producing again. In fact, it's uncanny that the tree can send its roots down deeper to access more and more life when the depths of death come. Now, anybody who's lived a Christian life for any length of time knows what this is like. Stay with me now. So you're gonna to have to really stay with me. The Bible says that when you became a Christian, that you are partakers of the divine nature. That God came on the inside of you. And Jesus described that as a spring of living water welling up within you. It's a good metaphor, but what on earth does it mean? It means that in those seasons of your life, when the winter comes, the drought comes, and externally your life appears to be falling apart, that God placed something in you that you could send your roots down deeper into to sustain you and to give you life so that the leaf will never wither or fade. And anybody who's experienced any kind of suffering, pain, whatever it is, knows that when those times come, you got one of two choices. You can either send your roots down into yourself and depend on yourself for your energy and life-sustaining power, or you can send your roots down into something else. Now, here's the first step of happiness. The first part of the metaphor is this, and this is important. If you, I don't care who you are, how strong you think you are, how clever you think you are, if you are not rooted into something outside yourself, into a life source greater than yourself, greater power than you have internally, if you're not rooted into something like that, you will wither and die. Psychologically, physically, emotionally, spiritually, no matter how tough you think you are, there is a point at which everybody breaks. And the psalmist is trying to say, number one, happiness is possible. Number two, that happiness is fundamental, not superficial. That is, that it is not dependent on outside circumstances. It's fundamentally something in you. And now we know, according to the psalmist, it has to do with where your roots go. How deep do they go? Now, here's the third part. 
It's not going to be revealed now all of a sudden. You've got to stay with me. It's kind of like geometry class. Remember in high school, if you miss one day, you get so far behind, you can't catch up. We're building this argument. Stay with me. Here's what the Bible teaches. Happiness can never be found directly. It's always a byproduct of something else. How many of you are familiar with a guy, Matt Emmons? Some of you will be. This guy arguably is one of the best sharpshooters on the planet. He's won Olympic gold, silver, bronze. He's won the world championships. This guy can fire a weapon at a target. And the bullseye in these competitions is about as big as a nickel. And they're positioned far away. This guy can hit that nickel just about every time. He's not perfect, but he's as close to perfect as humanly possible. In the Olympic Games in Athens, uh, he's taking part in a three-position shoot. So three different positions, and you've got targets. He comes to the final shoot. All he has to do is hit anywhere on the target because he's so far ahead, he needs an 8.2 to win. Now, an 8.2 just hit the target. And here's a guy that usually either hits the bullseye or a section of the bullseye about that big. He raises his gun, final round, brings it down, boom, fires, gets the binoculars, looks, drives it right to the center of the bullseye. That's the good news. Bad news is wrong target. He finished seventh out of the medals. It is possible to achieve your goal and objective, but it's the wrong one. You never read in scripture where Jesus says, blessed is the man who seeks blessedness. Happy is the man who pursues happiness. Happiness is the person who hungers and thirsts after happiness. In fact, Jesus tells you that the person who finds happiness is the person who stopped trying to get it. It's a byproduct of something else. Now stay with me, man. Stay with me. How many of you know what I mean when I say that I'm sanguine personality? Anybody know what I mean when I say it? Oh man, thank you. Somebody does understand. If you don't understand what a sanguine personality, there are four personality types. I'm sanguine, which if you know anything about the personality types, I'm shallow. That hurts. That's why I don't like these categories. Nobody fits perfectly in them, but I'm a sanguine. A sanguine lives for happiness fixes. You with me? And when I read that, okay, that's me. My wife will tell you, this is me. I live for happy moment for happy moment. I live from one to the next. In fact, I can work a long time. I can put in a 12-hour day as long as I know that something like Dairy Queen is waiting me at the end of the day. I mean, you know I'm telling the truth. The Heath Bar Blizzard is the best food on God's planet. So the sanguine personality can make it through very difficult day if there's something to look forward to. I can work a, an 80-hour-a-day week as long as I know on Friday something good's going to happen. The happiness fix is coming. I'm going to go to the movie with some friends. I'm going to have dinner with my family. That's how we're wired. Here's the point. Here's the problem with sanguine personalities, just quickly. The problem with sanguine personalities is we're either all the way up or all the way down. There's no middle ground, which is why my personality type is more susceptible to depression. Because if we don't have our happiness fixes, you know, if I'm working one month, two months, three months, and I got nothing to look forward to, I go into a state of sadness. Now, every personality type has a weakness. That's mine. The problem with my personality type is Jesus tries to tell people like me, it will never work. It will never work. You can have pleasurable experience after pleasurable experience, but there's something in your soul that will tell you it's never going to give you the happiness and contentment and joy that you're looking for. 
So that's my Achilles heel. It's the thing I've got to deal with. In fact, folks, do you know there is no Greek nor Hebrew word for happy? Do you know that? The way we define happiness. We define happiness as pleasurable satisfaction. Something that makes me feel all good. I'm happy. You know, the Lakers won. I'm happy for some of you. You know, the Clippers won. I'm happy. Uh, uh, Heath Bar Blizzard, I'm happy. I'm going to my favorite restaurant, the Elephant Bar. That's my favorite. I'm happy. Bible has no word for that because it's not that shallow. The only words for blessed and happy and joyful are words that have to do with a central happiness that have very little to do with external circumstances. Now stay with me. Jesus teaches us that if you seek happiness and it's your number one goal, it will always elude you. You will never find it. In fact, he'll go one step further. He'll say that if you say, my number one goal in my life is to have a happy marriage, Jesus says you'll never find it. If that's your number one goal. He said, if you say, my number one goal is to be a successful businessman, he says, if that's your number one goal, you're never gonna get it. But he does say this. He says, you can have both if you pursue something outside of those things. You with me? The thing that you want the most will destroy you, but there's something that you can pursue that all these things become a reality. That's the fourth step. Happiness is not something that happens to you, but something you choose. Now, this is not psychobabble. This is not pipe, pop psychology. Here's what the writer says. This is the meat. This is the core of the passage. Here's what the writer of Psalm says. He says, happy is the man who does not walk in the step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Now, for a long time in the study of this passage, I thought the emphasis was on the wicked that sinners take and the company of mockers. But in Hebrew literature, especially in the Psalms, anytime you have a note of progression, that's where the hidden treasure is. Walk, stand, sit. There's a progression. Walk, stand, sit. In Hebrew, the idea of walking means to go with the flow. It means that you're just flowing with everybody else. That's the idea of living. Perpeteo is the Greek word. It is walking along. You are living. You are flowing with the world. And what he's saying is, if you fall for the lie that you pursue the same things that the world pursues to find your happiness, you'll find yourself walking in step with the wicked. Why would you pursue the same thing everybody else pursues when they're not finding happiness? Wouldn't you go a different road? But if you're not careful, if you walk long enough, something uncanny will happen. You'll move from walking and suddenly you'll be standing in the way of sinners. Psalm chapter one is full of great direction for us still today. I hope that you heard that from Pastor Jeff and that you're hearing how there's a formula to be found for happiness in Psalm chapter one. Unfortunately, that is where we're gonna have to pause for today, but I promise next time we're gonna hear the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff as he unpacks its meaning in even more detail. Now, if you're ever gonna be happy, the way you want to be happy, the first thing the writer does is give you the negative. He says, it's never gonna be found if you pursue the same things the world pursues, if you find yourself belonging to that, if you find yourself owned by other things externally, it's never gonna happen. I look forward to your company next time to hear the rest of this message on Today with Jeff Vines.
Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.